texts for this morning, this epistle reading, excuse me, our ongoing study of the book of Colossians today recorded in chapter 4. Walking is simply complicated. Google tells me that it takes over 200 different muscles for every single step that you take. And you add to that the bones, the tendons, the nerves, all controlled by the brain as your eye scans the path in front of you and your inner ear gives you balance so that you can stay upright. Babies can't do it. They have to grow into it and learn how to walk. So we've been learning to walk with Jesus these past weeks and although there's one more sermon on the the book of Colossians next week today Paul wraps up his teaching Paul wraps up his letter to the little congregation in Colossae in this one verse he summarizes all that he has been saying and our goal every single day is to get to the top of the hill now the one in the picture is called diamond hill and it is near the village of letterfrack ireland in the connemara national park it's a 4.2 mile round trip with a 1300 foot elevation gain it starts like this continue steadfastly in prayer Look, after teaching us last week what walking with Jesus looks like in the foundational relationships that shape our lives, namely marriage and family and work, he now turns his attention to our lives out there in the public square, that is, in the very real and very messy world in which we live, and both require steadfast prayer. We do not live in isolation. I listened to an hour-long sermon this past week entitled, Living in a Perverse World. That was both enlightening and disturbing. And the point was this. This preacher, at least, believes that our culture has now gone beyond the point of no return. It's not going to get better. And therefore, we should stop grumbling and complaining about it and let our lights shine in the darkness that is all around us. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Look, prayer is an ongoing conversation with God. And talking is the primary means for building a relationship. I mean, think about when you first met the love of your life or your, or your best friend, how often do you talk? Talking is what relationships are made of. Now think about this with me. God talks to you in his word and prayer then is your half of the conversation with him. Now Luther's barber once asked him how to pray. And Luther wrote him a 40-page letter. (laughs) 
That letter boils down to this. Read a verse from the Bible and then pause and think. What does it mean? What is this verse teaching me? What do I know about the words and the phrases and the ideas in this verse? Now, I do it with my fingertips on a computer because I can't hardly write anymore. But I'll start typing literally every thought that comes to my mind. Sometimes the first thought is, I have no idea what this means. But oftentimes, one thought leads to another, and sometimes I get a single sentence, and sometimes I get a whole page. Step number one is to think about what this verse is teaching. What does it mean? Step number two, Luther said, was to give praise and thanksgiving to God. Luther said that when you look at the teaching of that verse, specifically at the teaching of that verse, what does it tell you about God? And then praise God for who he is, then look and say, what does it tell me about what God has done in that verse? And thank him for that. Then confess. Consider your life and confess the ways that you have not lived as if you actually believe who God is and what he has done. And finally, after all of that, it's time to ask. Tell God what you want. But start with asking for things in your relationship to him, then in your relationship to others, and then for your wants. Teaching, adoration and praise, confession, and then asking. Being watchful in prayer. Now, watchful is actually the word that Jesus used on the night when he was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, watch and pray. Now, do you remember what happened to them? They all fell asleep. Look, this is the same word that Jesus uses when he talks about the end of this present, broken, messy world. Stay awake, people. Watch. Be alert. Be vigilant in your faith. Keep your wits about you. Keep an eye on the horizon because Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Now, I honestly do not know how to make this more real to you. But I have said on more than one occasion to people struggling with their faith that the story of the Bible is either true or it's not true. If it is true, then nothing else matters. And the story of the Bible is simple and it is straightforward. Creation. God made a perfect world where we were supposed to dwell continuously in his presence and with each other, experiencing complete contentment and satisfaction. The fall. Humanity decided to do without God, and everything broke and began to die. Redemption. God was not willing to walk away from us. Instead, he entered into his own creation in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, and he lived the life that we were supposed to live but have not, and then he died the death we all deserved to die but will not if we only believe in him. 
And finally, restoration. People, Jesus is coming again to make all things new, to establish a new heaven and a new earth where we will live forever, once again experiencing the complete contentment and ultimate satisfaction that we were created for. Being watchful is conducting every moment of your life in full awareness of that story. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Now, what does that look like? Well, it's joyful. It's eager. It's full of hope and excitement. Doing everything in the name of the Lord, not as people pleasers. Bringing little bits and pieces of the kingdom of God, which is the world put right into the here and now. I don't know, maybe compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. As Jesus taught in the gospel lesson for this morning, caring for the weakest and the most vulnerable in our community. Oozing Jesus' love and forgiveness out of every pore of our body. Oh, and if the story of the Bible isn't true, which of course it is, but for the sake of argument, if it isn't, the worst that can happen is that you will have lived a life of beauty and integrity and usefulness. Being watchful with thanksgiving. Now, Paul has used this word, thanksgiving, thankfulness, five times in this short letter. In fact, I think we could call the letter to the Colossians the letter of thanksgiving. And I have reminded you every time that word has come up that the root Greek word for thanksgiving is the root word for grace. And tried to get you to comprehend that every time you pause to give thanks, God will pour more of his unlimited, unconditional love, his grace, into your life. Making it to the top of that hill is not just about our personal daily climb. It's about a worldwide mission of spreading the good news about Jesus. Thy kingdom come everywhere. And so Paul asked the Colossians to pray for him. And I'm asking you this morning to pray for your pastors and for missionaries and for church workers. Pray what? Pray that God would open doors. Look, Paul was actually locked in a cell or in a home imprisonment that he was experiencing at this particular time where he was under guard. So this prayer might actually mean prayer. He might have actually been asking them, pray for me to get out of jail soon. But it was bigger than that because Paul was continuously looking for opportunities to declare the mystery of Christ being St. Paul's jailer puts you in constant risk of becoming a follower of Jesus. 
Paul was continuously looking for opportunities to share and to show Jesus. Now, I think that we are very tempted to get discouraged given the mess that the world is in, to throw in the towel, to throw up our hands, to say, what's the point? But would you please look and notice that God is in charge, that it is God who opens doors, that God wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, that God is not sitting up in heaven wringing his hands over Supreme Court decisions and over the political power politics of our nation. In fact, history has proven that God will use every circumstance to reveal the mystery of Christ. And what is that? Well, just this, that in Jesus, all the fullness of God dwells. And yet Jesus humbled himself unto death on a cross for us so that through his suffering and death comes resurrection life every day. The mystery, Paul says in Colossians, is actually Christ in us. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus dwells in us and we abide in him. And therefore, our lives follow his pattern. Suffering, death, resurrection. We daily die to sin. We're raised to new life. The world may reject us. The world may even kill us. But we have overcome the world because we have an inheritance in the new heaven and the new earth. Paul asked the Colossians to pray for his preaching. And I'm asking that of you today. Pray for me and Brian and Tig and John and Sam and Matthew. When you see me go to the altar before I preach, just know this. I'm simply asking God to let me speak in a way that reaches your hearts, that draws you in, that gives you an eagerness to hear the word. And right before I step up, I always ask whoever's assisting, pray for me. And today I said, do it twice. This daily walk to the top is an uphill journey. It takes wisdom. And wisdom is a lifetime skill that comes with practice over and over. Burned into my brain is the definition of wisdom, competency with regard to the complex reality of life. What is wisdom? Wisdom is competency with regard to the complex reality of life. And people, life in this broken mess of a world is complicated. Wisdom is more than intellectual knowledge. It turns out you can be a smart fool. Wisdom is more than a spiritual, moral discipline. It turns out you can be a religious fool. Wisdom is what comes with a lifetime of learning how to apply your knowledge of God. And I'm talking about that deep, personal, intimate relationship that only comes from an ongoing conversation with Him. 
It's taking that knowledge into the messy circumstances of the world. Now, here's my observation. We are very quick to oversimplify things. We want black and white answers. Now, be very careful at this point in this sermon that you do not hear me saying that everything is relative and that truth depends on the situation. What I'm saying is that applying the truth in real time can be complicated and it requires wisdom which is competency with regards to the complex realities of life. Pastor Tig shared with me this week that he brought up the subject of abortion in his Wednesday morning men's Bible study. But before he engaged them in a group discussion, he asked them at their individual tables to imagine a young woman who had just had an abortion sitting at the table with them and then to discuss amongst themselves what they would say to her and more important perhaps how they would say it. It changed the whole discussion. See, it's, it's, it's simple to discuss with people who mostly agree with you the right and the wrong of something like abortion. It is complicated to hold on to what you believe and at the same time care about and be thoughtful when you engage in a real-life circumstance. It takes wisdom. Walk in wisdom it is uphill all of the way. Making the best use of time. Which success suggested to me this week that time is running out. On my ministry. On my life. On our culture. On our nation. On the world. It is an uphill climb, people, but the view from the top is breathtaking. But words are the most powerful gift that God has given to his human creatures. We all learned the rhyme, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Wrong, 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 wrong. Erase it from your memory. And replace it with this. Sticks and stones can only break my bones. But words, words can pollute and destroy the soul forever. Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. And one of our past vicars used to like to say, we are salt of the earth millionaires. What? Well, look, the kingdom of God is the world put right, and you are part of that now through your faith in Jesus. Salt both preserves and it seasons, and we have an endless supply of it. We are salt of the earth millionaires to go out from here to beautify and to make our little corner of the world worth living in until Jesus comes again. Knowing how you ought to answer each person requires that you have self-awareness. 
that you take a look in the mirror. Did you know that 80% of your personality, that is the way that you speak, your attitude, your demeanor, 80% of your personality works pretty well. But all of us have junk around the fringes of our personality. And most of the time we are unwilling to look at our junk and acknowledge it. And so it keeps sabotaging the 80% that does work. Do you know your fringes? I'm hypersensitive to criticism. I want everyone to, to like me and to think highly of me. I avoid being transparent and vulnerable by using sarcasm. And when it offends you, I just say, oh, come on, I was only kidding. When you see your fringes, you will actually start to experience a deep longing for Jesus and for his forgiveness. When you are actually honest about the damage that those broken fringes of your personality cause, his forgiveness floods in and it washes away your guilt, it washes away your shame, and it gives you the confidence to humbly say, Jesus, you make me want to be a better person. And then, confident in Christ, you can start to look around with genuine curiosity and you can use your words, your, your, your gifts, your re your resources, your skills, you can use your life to be salt-of-the-earth millionaires, seasoning others with compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience, being salt-of-the-earth millionaires that, that preserves and cleanses by bearing with one another and forgiving even as you have been forgiven. Walk with Jesus. It is uphill all of the way, but the view is breathtaking. Amen.